If you would, turn back with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's what we opened up with here at the beginning. And that's what we're going to look at again. I read to you from the end of 2 to the uh, chapter 3, verse 10, and uh, the, the call of uh, God on Moses' life. You know the situation. The book of Genesis ends, and the people of Israel have found themselves uh, in Egypt. Things are going well there because of Joseph and his great leadership. But uh, Joseph has died, and a new Pharaoh comes up, and he doesn't remember Joseph. And the people of Israel have become so prosperous uh, that, that the Egyptians, led by Pharaoh, are now bothered, and they want to put them into some harsh slavery. This goes on for quite some time. The people are miserable. They're groaning. They're crying out to God. And so God hears their prayer, and God is going to set them free, and he chooses Moses to be his man. That's, that's the setting, and that's where we're going to start. Well, just these past couple weeks in our Wednesday and Thursday morning Bible study, here we have been studying the book of Esther. And I'm not sure if you've ever read Esther before, if you know the story. It's really awesome. It's not very long. It's only 10 chapters, but it's a, it's a really, really good story. Esther, uh, by way of uh, a beauty pageant, ends up as the queen. It's Queen Esther. But some bad things, there's a turn of events. Some bad things happen. And the king has now made a rule that all of the Jews are going to be annihilated. Kill all the Jews on one day at one time. Well, Esther secretly is a Jew, and the king doesn't know that, which means that she's going to have to be killed as well. Well, her, her uncle, stepdad type of guy, who, who she was raised by, Mordecai, sends message to her and says, hey, you are in the spot to do something about this. You need to go to the king and plead with the king to stop this, do something about it. And Esther has a lot of excuses. Tonight I want to talk to you about excuses. In the bulletin it says, learning from Moses, stop making excuses. And Esther has a lot of legitimate excuses. For one, she hasn't talked to the king in a long time. It says it had been a while since she had talked to the king. She doesn't see the king. She's not allowed to talk to the king, and she doesn't talk to him, so it's not her place, okay? On the other hand, there's a law that says if you go into the king without permission, you should be killed. You will be killed, and Esther knows that. There are quite a few excuses that she could have said, and that the strength of them is that, no way, that'll cost me my life. Another excuse that she could have said is, no, I should not do that. That's wrong to do that. It's against the law to do that. I should not do that. That's not the right thing to do. There are several excuses that she could have said. But what's at stake is huge. All of her people, all of the Jews, this, this, this kingdom had expanded so big, it says, the Bible says it was, it was raining all the way from India, if you picture a map, India, all the way to Ethiopia. This is huge. 127 provinces inside of that kingdom. It's crazy. And all of the Jews living inside of there are going to be annihilated on one day. But the queen is a Jew. And Mordecai says, you need to go talk to the king. And she has all these excuses. And she raises up some of those. And Mordecai says to her, in one of the most fascinating passages, Mordecai says to her, you don't know. Perhaps your whole purpose in life was to bring you 
to this time, to this moment. It uses the phrase, for such a time as this. You don't know if God raised you up for this very purpose. And the rest of the story goes that she says, okay, I'll do what I got to do. I'll risk it all for the sake of my people, for the sake of what's right. She says, tell everybody to fast. In three days, I'm going into the king. And if I perish, I perish. If he kills me, he kills me, but I'm going for it. Some things are worth dying for, the book of Esther teaches us. But what I want to connect that to tonight is that she had good, legitimate excuses Now, not all excuses are good and legitimate excuses, right? There's some bad baloney excuses, as we all know, right? But she had some excuses. But Mordecai came to her and said, enough with the excuses. You need to look at what matters, what's at stake. A very similar thing is happening tonight in the book of Exodus. I don't know where you're at, and I don't know why I'm feeling so much like I'm liking this that I'm teaching on tonight, but... If you're like me, there's some excuses. It may be something little, like why you didn't do your chores this afternoon and you instead just chose to take it easy. It may have been those excuses, or it may have been some bigger excuses, right? There may be something that God's calling you to do and you know it. There may be some money that you need to pay off, some debt you need to deal with. There may need a neighbor that you need to talk to. There may be a conversation you need to have. There may be some discipline that you need to put in your life. It it, it may be that you know and you're coming to realize that life's bigger than you and you need to look to Jesus and you've not done it yet. It may be that you're realizing God's got purpose for you and you've been putting it off. I don't know what it is, but we need to learn from Moses tonight and stop with the excuses. Tonight I want to show you five excuses from this passage, okay? So if you were here at the very beginning, you heard me read from Exodus chapter 2 all the way through chapter 3, and at verse 10, look with me at chapter 3, verse 10, God tells Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that's the setting, and I think all of you know it now, right? That's the setting. So here we go, five excuses from Moses. The first one is at verse 11. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first one is in verse 11, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The first excuse, listen to me, is asking, who am I? The first excuse that we have in our lives is we ask, who am I? In other words, we're saying to God, I'm not the one. I'm a nobody. That's what Moses is doing. Who am I? As if, listen to me, as if God's purposes and God's callings in life are dependent upon you being special enough. Read the Bible a little bit more and you'll learn right away God's not asking you to be special enough to do something for him, right? You've heard it a thousand times, but hear it again tonight. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I know that's a quote that you've heard before, but that's a really, really good quote, right? We say things like, no, I'm not good at speaking, so I shouldn't speak, right? I don't know how to talk to people about the Lord, so I'm not going to talk to people about the Lord. And we go on and on and on and on with excuses. Moses' first excuse is, who am I? Which is a silly excuse when you're talking to God Almighty. I want to remember you the setting. When God was talking to Moses and Moses was talking back to him, that wasn't exactly a little text conversation or that wasn't a face-to-face where you totally understood each other. Do you remember how God was talking to Moses? A burning bush, right? As if that's not miraculous enough, as if Moses shouldn't be taken back enough already. If the God of the bush knows how to talk to you, then he also knows how to pick the right person to use. Wouldn't you agree? 
We shouldn't be asking, who am I? If God wants us to do it and we feel and we know we have the conviction that God wants us to do it, then we should do it. Who am I is not an excuse. Has God ever done, listen to me, has God ever done great things through ordinary people? Absolutely he has. This past week, Billy Graham died, didn't he? There's been a lot of stuff coming out, just how awesome he was and the impact he was and quotes on his ministry and all of that. But you know what was so awesome about Billy Graham? Is how not very special he was in and of himself. He was an ordinary guy. But he so walked in his integrity. He so preached a simple message. He so stuck to Jesus and the blood and sin and judgment. He stuck to that, that God did something unbelievable through him. One might be asking if we could rewind 100 years, because he was 99. If we could rewind 100 years and we started saying, okay, God wants to find a man that will be able to preach to 275 million people globally. God wants to find a man that will be of such noble, upright character that Muslim countries will invite him in to preach. God wants to find a man that will be skilled at going to over 150 countries, Billy Graham did, invited to over 150 countries around the world to preach. We're looking for that person. You think it would have been a country boy from North Carolina? You think that's who it would have been? I don't think so. When God called Billy Graham to do all that, you think Billy Graham should have said, who am I? You know, I'm not a good choice, God. No, he shouldn't have said that. That wouldn't have been a good excuse. And here tonight, I want you to see, that's not a legitimate excuse for Moses either. Moses' first excuse is, who am I? Well, let's see what God answers. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Y'all, this is the promise that we have from God over and over again. Doesn't matter who you are. Keep asking, who am I? Doesn't matter who you are if God's with you, right? You plus God equals invincible, right? You plus God equals do the impossible. You plus God means there are no obstacles. You plus God means God can do whatever he wants to do. Paul said it, I preached it, I think, just last week or two weeks ago. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever it is. You want me to travel from here with my speech impediment down to Egypt and tell the king of Egypt to let your people go by myself? I don't know. But if you go with me, we can do this, right? That's the truth. And that was his answer. Do you remember Matthew's final words, the very last verse in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, when Jesus gave the Great Commission? Do you remember what it was? And remember, I am with you always. That's the last phrase in the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Because when God is with you, there is not an excuse that matters. There's not an excuse that holds up. God had called Moses to be the spokesperson to let the people of Israel go out of Egypt. And his first excuse was, who am I? And God says, hey, I will be with you. But look at here at his second excuse, verse 13. So then Moses said to God, second excuse, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? First excuse is, who am I? Second excuse is, God, who are you? 
And this one hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Because I think a lot of us do have excuses that we make. And the reason why we're making excuses is because we're not sure what God wants us to do yet. We're not sure who we are in God. Our identities struggle so much in the world today. It's kind of commonplace for us to say, well, you need to go find yourself. Listen to me tonight. If you're still searching for yourself, the reason why is because you've not looked through God. If you don't know God, you're never going to find yourself, and that's the truth. I've been around too many 60, 70, 80, 90-year-olds who are on their deathbed wondering whether God loves them wondering whether they're going to heaven, wondering if God's going to accept them in, wondering whether they've done good enough. Listen to me, folks. If you get another day or another 10 years or whatever, and you're not sure whether you know God, then tonight decide, I want to know God. Why in the world is Moses saying, who are you, God? What's your name? That's a bad excuse. Well, if I go down there, God, and I tell them to let the people go, they're going to say, who sent you? What do I tell them then, God? He's talking to him out of a bush. It's God Almighty. There's only one God Almighty, y'all. There's only one maker. There's only one good God and Father. There's only one Lord and Savior. There is only one God, and you need to know him. Trying to understand ourselves without understanding in God is a cycle in a circle, high, low, in, out, all over the place, but we do not find ourselves. Now, I realize that finding yourself is a part of life, right? I've told y'all time and time again when I was 19 years old and my parents set me down on the back deck and my dad looked at me and said, what are you doing with your life? I said, I don't know. He said, that won't work. Don't tell me I don't know. You're going to do something. That's what he said. And so I started making a lot of decisions. That, that, that ain't what worked out. But I started making decisions because Dad said I absolutely had to when I was 19. Y'all, life doesn't allow us to just say I don't know who I am. And a lot of people get away with it and they'll keep wandering forever. But listen to me. When you come to know God, your identity starts to take shape. You may not know what you're supposed to be doing or what your job is or where you're supposed to live, but those are little questions when you're talking about who you are. Who you are in God makes all the difference. Do you have peace? Are you happy? Are you content? These things come from knowing God. Who are you? Val and I were at the, a store the other day and we saw this cool pillow, and on the pillow it had a picture of like a whole global map. And underneath it it said, go find yourself. That sounds cool, doesn't it? I'm sure every little college girl would love to have that pillow. How are they going to find themselves? Maps are cool. Everybody likes maps. But be honest with me. How are they going to find themselves? I would guarantee you that most of the people buying that pillow are still searching. Y'all, finding you is about finding God. That's the truth. Being secure in who you are is about knowing the God that made you. In verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God gives us that great answer, which I'm sure you've heard before. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You ever heard that before? That's what God says his name is. I am. That's awesome. 
Because when we talk about God, we have to say he is something, right? He is big, he is strong, he is my God, he is my Savior, he, he is love, right? We have to put some direct object there to receive that uh, uh, subject verb, right? We have to, not God. Hey, you just tell them I am. I am who? I am. They'll get the point. And they got the point. Y'all, this is how big and strong and secure God is. There's only one God. There's only one God, and he made us, and he loves us, and he's our Father in heaven. You tell them, I am sent you. They'll know what you mean. And they did. Moses was asking, who are you? The first excuse he had is, who am I? The second excuse he had is, who are you? But now turn over to chapter 4. This is the same big, long story. And here's his third excuse at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. His third excuse is this, it won't work. His third excuse is this, is it won't work. How many times has the negative, doubtful, unbelieving attitude stopped us from doing things? Can you imagine being Moses? And really the, the, the silly foolishness of talking to a bush that's on fire about so, something the bush wants you to do. And you say, well, who am I that you would choose me, bush? And who are you if I tell them that you sent me? Ah, that's not going to work. That, that's what just happened. That's not going to work. They're not going to believe me. Folks, you've been around church long enough, haven't you? You've heard me preach enough over the years. You've read this book enough, don't you? When God's ready to make somebody believe, he'll make them believe. God will change your heart. God changes hearts. If God says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh something, God will make Pharaoh believe. If God says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh something, God will make Pharaoh let him go. And that's the very thing that happens if you keep going. Y'all remember the ten plagues, right? Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. You remember the ten plagues? You remember how detailed, you, you remember that story? If you've, ever, if you've not read it, go back and read it. Do you remember how detailed it is on why Pharaoh's heart was hardened and why it wasn't? You remember that? Who's in control of that? God. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart. That's what it's telling us. Very clearly. Y'all, any results, I've got it written in my Bible. Jake preached it forever ago. He forgot about that sermon, and he forgot, he forgot that he even said it. But I've got it written in my Bible right here where Jake Beatty preached, God asked us to be obedient. God's in charge of the results. And you better believe that. How would Moses say to him, it won't work? Now, you know the story of the Old Testament, don't you? Did God set them free? Yes, he set them free. Y'all, God is able to do whatever he wants to do. Do you realize that this church right here in Fairdale is 101 years old? It was started in 1916. We know a really popular preacher in Lexington. He pastors Ashland Avenue Church in Lexington. 
That church is 101 years old, too. It started in 1916 itself. We started in 1916, we started in 1916. And the other day, he wrote an article about he's the fourth pastor there in 101 years. He was talking about how it's been a good, long succession of Bible-believing pastors. Well, folks, in our 101 years, I'm the 28th pastor. And y'all still call me young. And I'm already the longest tenured pastor here. Y'all, that's too much turnover. That's too much up and down. And to just a few years ago, it had left our church in a position where it didn't look like our church was going to grow anymore. It's the way it seemed. And it looked like our church was in a bad position, to which I'm sure that there were a lot of people thinking, I don't know what to do. But I hope there was never anybody saying to God, that won't work. Because what God wants to work, works. Moses' third excuse, that won't work, is not a good one. Look what happens. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me. They will not listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Watch what God says. You start telling God he can't do something, and look what he does. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers. You see that? God is saying, don't think this won't work. Don't think we can't make them believe. Don't think for a second I'm not able to do what I'm calling you to do. There's a good old quote that says, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. When God chose Moses, and told Moses to go and do that. Moses had all these excuses. And here at this third excuse, he's even got doubt. He needs to remember, if God's called him to do it, God will supply him to do it. Listen, I don't know what God's calling you to do. I don't know what you're thinking's not going to work. I don't know where the negativity or the pessimism or the bad attitude or the excuses are coming from, but I want you to set your eyes on not so much what you think the results will be, but rather what you know what God has called you to do. The results are up to him. Go and do it. Go and do it. Fourth excuse, jump down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord... Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. His fourth excuse is this. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. You ever said that one before? Many of y'all are here tonight believing that. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at things. Let me ask you again. It's a rhetorical question and you know the answer. And you're going to feel foolish when I ask it. Does God need you to be good at something for him to use you through it? Let me say that again. Does God need you to be good at something for him to use you through it? No, he doesn't. This is similar to the first excuse, isn't it? Who am I? 
Who am I? I'm just a nobody. Who am I? And here, Moses gets more, suspe- more specific. This is that passage where we come to find out that Moses did have some sort of a speech problem. Moses has some sort of a speech problem here. He says, I'm not eloquent. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I don't know if it was a lisp. I don't know if he had a stutter. I don't know if it was worse than that or, 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 or less than that. I don't know. But that didn't matter to God. That didn't matter to God. That's who God had called. That's who God had chosen. And we start saying things like, I'm not good at it. And I'm always amazed. Listen to me. I don't want to beat up any of you all. I love you. I want to know you even better. But I'm always amazed at Wednesday night prayer or even at 24 hours of prayer. How many people say, I can't pray out loud? Many of you all love to come and love to pray, but you just don't want to pray out loud. And I always tell the people that are with me, we're going to pray out loud, and I understand you might not be good at it. But God will understand every bit of it. Listen, if you think that I'm going to judge you because you're not good at praying, then we're a long way from being a good pastor-church-person relationship, right? If I'm judgmental on how you pray, then we've got big issues, right? I hope that we've come far enough together, you together, me together, us together, that we can be not good at something around each other, and that'd be okay, right? We didn't come here to see who's good at speaking out loud to God. We came here to ask God to do some miracles. We came here to ask God to change lives. We came here to ask God to heal marriages and save people and help me teach football players and basketball players to know Jesus. We came here to see God do a work in our city. We didn't come here to pray good. One of the things that y'all remind me all the time, nearly every week somebody tells me something in my sermon that I didn't say the correct way. Either my grammar's wrong, or I meant to say this, I meant to say that, right? It shouldn't make me stop. God doesn't really need us to be good at things. He just wants us to be obedient. You and I know the Exodus story really well. We never once thought, man, Moses, Moses is about to ruin God's plan. We never thought that. We never once thought, man, Moses, if he doesn't get this right, all of the redemptive history is going to go the wrong way. No. I'm hearing all these excuses. I'm like, Moses, just shut up and do what God's called you to do. That's what we're thinking. We know that God's going to do this. He says, I'm not good at it. Look what God says to that. If you haven't had your toes stepped on yet tonight, let God do it. It's not me. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who made your mouth? Imagine telling God, You didn't make my mouth good enough to talk to people. Because that's what he's saying. I don't know what it is that God's calling you to do. It might be that tonight you need to get everybody in your house gathered up for a little prayer out loud. It may mean that tomorrow you need to exercise. It may mean that you need to start reading the Bible. It may mean that you need to start giving money to your neighbor. It may mean, I don't know what it is, but the excuses that we have for why we're not going to live our lives for Jesus just don't work. The excuses excuses that we have for why we're not going to be the person that God's called us to be don't work. Who am I? Who are you? It's not going to work. 
I'm not good at it. Look at the last one. And it's the best one of all. Chapter 4, verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. This one's humorous. Enough's enough, God. No more excuses. I don't want to, God. I don't want to do what you're calling me to do. I don't want to, I don't want to be the one to set people free. I don't want to be the one that you use. I don't know what Moses wanted to do. You and I know people well enough, sinful, flawed people well enough. He probably didn't have anything better planned, right? Don't we all know people who are saying no to things in the back of our mind? We're going, why not? Why not? There's not a better answer. But this is where Moses is. He just didn't want to. And folks, listen. The want to in life gets at your heart, doesn't it? Not wanting to is a heart problem. Right? Not wanting to is a heart problem. Are you here tonight not wanting to do something that God wants you to do? And would you here in these last couple minutes just be honest and realize, that's not good. If God's wanting you to do something and you've got that urging, that inkling, that pushing, that conviction, hey, God wants me to be doing something and you're just resisting because you don't want to, that's wrong, right? That's disobedience. That's bad. Y'all, God loves his people. He does. And he has so designed the world that he works through us. Let's stop with the excuses. When God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, the Bible used story after story after story of what that did. God came to us, died on the cross. While Jesus hung on the cross, let me remind you, he had never sinned. And Jesus had never sinned. Well, the wage of sin is death. You die because of sin. We're all going to die because we've sinned. But Jesus never sinned. So he couldn't have died. So Jesus hanging there on the cross. But at some point on the cross, God took your sins, my sins, your sins, and put them on Jesus. And when Jesus took our sins, God then was willing to punish him on our behalf because he loves us. Because he doesn't want to punish us. And so he punished Jesus, killed Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross. And as Jesus died on the cross, God was punishing your sins, even your excuses, even your not wanting to. He dealt with it. Three days later, they took Jesus off the cross, buried him in the grave. Three days later, Jesus was alive. You can't stop him. He's God Almighty. He is Lord and King. He's invincible. That's why he's not afraid of anybody. That's why he was never shaken. And he was back. And when he says to us, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, God gave it to me, and I want you to go do something now. Go and make disciples of all nations. May we not make excuses on why we don't want to. May we say, God, you've got my whole heart. If you want me to pray with my daughter, I'll do it. 
If you want me to date my daughter, I'll do it. If you want me to date my wife, I'll do it. If you want me to give my dollar, I'll do it. If you want me to speak to my neighbor tomorrow, if you want somebody at this church to give another dollar so we can feed another player, so that we can tell them more about Jesus, God, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll be glad to do it. I'm not going to ask who am I. I'm not going to ask who are you. I know who I am now because I know who you are. I'm not going to say it won't work. Listen, we don't know what's going to work. Let's be honest about that, right? We've tried a lot of things. We don't know what God's going to use. Let's just be honest about that. But we're also not going to say I'm not good at it. Because that just doesn't work. God doesn't care whether we're good at it. So because that's true, we're not looking for great people to be a part of our church. We're not looking for poor people, bad people to be a part of our church. We're not looking at who they are to be a part of our church. We're looking for people that want to love God. Because they know how much God loves them. It's not a qualification in order to be a part of the church. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? And do you want to love him back? And may we not make the excuse, I just don't want to. May God give us hearts that say, I want to. Oh God, help me to live for you. See, the neat thing about us being in position and, and really being on mission is there's a lot that we could be doing, isn't there? A lot of doors are open. A lot of people around us. Y'all, it's fascinating to me to be a part of this church. There are new people here every time we turn around. Not even just Sunday morning. There's new people in Sunday school this morning. There are new people at Wednesday night. There are new people at the Super Bowl party. There are new people here on Sunday nights. Everywhere we go, there are new people here. Constantly, constantly, right? There are. The doors are wide open for us to be used for God. I don't know what he wants you to do, but he wants you to. Don't make excuses. If God wants you to commit your life to Christ, let somebody know. Let me know. We learned this from Moses. He had those five excuses. And after all of those, you know what God did? God had Moses go do it, and he did it. And God got the glory, and none of his excuses kept God from doing it. I'm not sure what God's going to do through First Baptist Church of Fairdale, but let's let him do it through us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for us learning from Moses. And God, help us to not make excuses anymore. If we need to turn from our sins, God, lead us to turn from our sins. If we need to be honest that we need you in our life, help us to be honest about that. Lead us to do it. Father, thank you that we can hear a message of not making excuses and thank you for our time here tonight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.